Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Fallout for part four of the murder of Jody Jones. Bob was once again joined by Dr. Sandra Lean. They had an interesting conversation about the prosecution's case against Luke Mitchell. I personally have a lot of thoughts about this episode, and I know it's raised several listener questions. So today, Bob, Janet, and I are going to dive into all of them. All right. Uh, hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us today. And it, since you have a lot of thoughts, Zach, I say we just get right into your thoughts on the episode. Okay. I'm going to preface this by saying I truly appreciate this episode. I really, I, I've been enjoying having Dr. Sandrine on the, the episode. I was honestly a little disappointed in this episode. There was a lot of things that were brought forth that I still think this, the problem is, is there's very bias in this case. Mm-hmm. And that's all we continue to hear. There's a lot of things that Dr. Lean brought up that I think are good points. You know, the the Adrena sighting kind of being bullshit after we kind of break it down. Mm-hmm. I think that's very valid. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. I think that's something that the prosecution has weighed a lot on in, you know, going into this. And mm-hmm. as we hear more about it, about what the person was seen wearing and how that's not at all what Jody was wearing and, and kind of the timeline. I mean, I think that was good to hear. The problems I had came in when when she started to justify things throughout the the prosecution's case so at some point she starts talking about the changing stories we talk about the changing stories in jody's family Mm -hmm. and how those seem to be sketchy and be a problem but then when we get to the changing stories on luke's family there seems to be a reason why it's okay and and i feel like you can't have it both ways so i had a little different take on that but what what changing story on their side are you referring to specifically so on, on jody's family we have the changing story about well, I know all the stuff on her side, but I mean, on Luke, on Luke's side, what did you feel that she... So there's the, the brother's story where he didn't know what was made for dinner, and we, we don't know if Luke was home. We don't know. And then he, he says that he calls and that, oh, he remembers that it was the night that he burnt the pie because his mother... And they said, well, that's, that's because he just wasn't sure. And then, oh, there was four days, but it really wasn't four. It was one. And there, there's all these little justifications in it without, you know, I mean, like, you can't have it both ways. If, if a party's changing a story, they're changing a story. I, I completely understand what you're saying, Zach. I think part of the reason that, and if it's biased, then, then, then it's biased. But not having a reason, a known reason for the other family to have changed stories. Like, she can't provide those reasons because I, it doesn't sound like they've been given. Mm-hmm. But she has access to the reasons that have been given because she is advocating for Luke, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So she has that connection with them and they can say why. But I, I hear what you're saying. Bob, what were you going to say? Sorry about that. I agree with both of you. I also, for me, I see that a little bit differently. So like when you compare the two, so for example, S- Stephen, I believe it was like gives a statement that, yeah, the dog was barking and alerting and it was standing there and its head was this high over the V, gives all these details about it and then goes to trial and says the dog didn't alert at all. He's told a completely different story with no explanation as to how that changed to me, the way that I took the way Dr. Lean was explaining like that particular change you're talking about in Luster. And that's, and I assume that's what what you were talking about. So for you, you, it seems like you took it as like, she's making an excuse that it seemed like four days, but it was really two days. What I heard was she was citing the, like in the record two days after the interview is when he called Mm -hmm. and it was two days later when they called him back. That's just clearing the record to me. And it's also, I mean, I felt like she gave us all the all the details and kind of leaves you to decide whether you're going to believe it or not. And the fact that he didn't change the story, he added detail to it. And she said that that detail came because mom reminded him. So like mom told him it was when he burnt the pies 
And then he, he said that he remembered it. And so then he called to add it that that was the day that he burned his pies. I, to me, I just took it as like, you're, you can do with that what you want with it. But that is what is in the record is that was his reason for changing it. I did, I didn't personally, I didn't take it as like explaining it away, but just giving us the details of the circumstance. Fair enough. And, and what I will say, and, and I, I should have started with this as well, is when we came into this case, I, I was very undecided and I probably leaned more towards guilt. Mm-hmm. And as we've moved forward, honestly, I'm still undecided, but I definitely believe that I lean towards innocence. So w- everything I'm bringing up isn't because it's changed my mind. It's because I want to see, I want to see a neutral playing field. I want to see all the evidence as it sits, not as what we're being presented. Yeah. So that's a lot of everything that, you know, I come up with. I think there's a question about this, but I'm going to bring it up. She talks about the, the jury deliberation and how short it felt that it was mm-hmm. about five hours. Yeah. But if we don't have to have a unanimous decision, we don't have to have a long deliberation, in my opinion. Yeah. You just got to get eight people to vote. So if you go in there and talk for five hours and go, can we vote? And then you come to a vote and it's one way or the other. That's it. And I, that's the way it seems to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I, th- I think th- at least what I took out of it, her concern with that is. And, and again, I, as I mentioned, Zach, before we started recording, we recorded next week's episode where we go over the case for innocence. 30 seconds after we recorded this interview. So I'm trying to, in my mind, keep stuff like separated from what we haven't talked about yet. But I think what I took out of it was was the bigger concern for her, which kind of caught my attention too, was that on that Thursday night when they retired for the night, that they told the judge that they're nowhere near a verdict. And then they came in the next morning and immediately voted. But they didn't. And and she even said it in the podcast. Now, maybe she misspoke. Maybe I I listened to this podcast three times to make sure that I was getting the details right. She said they deliberated for two hours, said they were nowhere near the verdict. They come back, then she says they come back, and they almost immediately say that they have a verdict. So they were in there about five hours. Well, now that means they were in there for three more hours that second day. Yeah, if that's what, and I'll take your word for it, because I don't remember. That's what the, and if she missed, I don't know, I don't want to put it on her, I'm just saying, that's, if you listen to what she told you, she said they come back and almost immediately come up with the decision, so mm-hmm. they were in there for about five hours. Which means they spent three hours. In Did there she the next say, day. or is my memory just just mixing up that it was within an hour the second day that they came? I thought I remember her saying it was an she hour does, later. But then she also says five hours. Yeah, it's, yeah, and I feel like I I took when she was breaking down the time from the day before that there was like a couple hours and then a dinner break and then two hours and then they sent them home and then they came back and then one hour. Mm-hmm. But so that's not the way I took it. But I could. You're I, probably I, right. I could be hearing it. That doesn't that doesn't mean I heard it right either. I'm just bringing forth what I what I feel that I've heard yeah. through this podcast. But the point being that to you that seemed like it was it's biased. It does well. Just presenting the fact that you go. It was a very short deliberation time, which means they didn't have time to think about it. But if you don't have to have a unanimous deci- decision. They don't have to sit and argue about it for weeks on end. Yeah. You, you got the, initially they didn't have eight going either way. So that, that must mean since it's, since it doesn't have to be unanimous now that I'm, I'm just thinking out loud as we're sitting here, that means there must've been a bunch of undecideds, right? Yeah. Because if everybody voted one way or the other, you would have a verdict right away. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but since they said they were nowhere near a verdict at the end of Thursday night, there must've been a lot of people that were undecided. So that, th- that changes things a little bit too. Cause that means that you didn't have to go from innocent to guilty. You had to go from undecided to guilty, which is a shorter trip. Hmm. So the next point, I have several points that I'm going to go through here. My next point is the knife pouch. She talks about the knife pouch. It's been absolutely presented that this knife pouch appears. There's pictures of it. You can see pictures of it online mm-hmm. and the missing knife. Now this is another part that, that I was a little, was a little unhappy with in the episode because she kind of just talks past the knife. She does mention the knife is missing. But then she makes a big deal about the knife pouch and how it doesn't really mean anything. 
And maybe it doesn't. But in retrospect, that knife is missing. We don't know what happened to that knife. Right. But but what what with the knife, the thing that, that sort of set my mind at ease with it was the medical examiner's testimony about the injury that was so deep in the throat. And and you guys couldn't see the video, but like I the way she showed it to me in the video on Zoom was that they literally would have had to have been holding like with the just the fingers, just the tip of the knife in order to get it that deep. And fingers would have to be in mouth for the blade to be that deep. So I would like to see what how that really went down because again there there is different ideas about this you're talking about she says that her tonsils were injured is what the the injury is called there was a there was a cut to her tonsils is mm-hmm. what i believe what she says right yeah yes if you're going directly in her mouth there's probably no way to get there but they also say she has an injury that her her lip is cut all the way to her ear mm-hmm. which means that shortens that path by a whole lot if the if, injuries yeah if that goes all the way through yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I was only basing that off what she said that the expert testified to. Again, I don't know. This is what I'm. This is what I'm saying. Is it's not that I believe that this was done this way. It's that I wanted to see this evidence presented this way, just in an unbiased thing, so I can see truly what's happening and not just having things talked away. Yeah, I, I I'll I'll just say this in, in regards to that. Like, I think it's unfair to call it bias the way that it's presented. If what she said is accurate which I've not seen anybody refute it. I don't know if anybody can, because I don't know if I've yeah, seen absolutely. it. Like the way you're presenting is she was biased. She was spinning it and talking around it. The way I heard it was she said the expert on the stand testified that the only way that knife could have made that injury is if this happened. To me, that's just her sharing a fact from what was testified to. It just, it's, it just seems unfair to me to, to, and of course, I'm very sensitive to this because what do I get called all the time? You get called biased, like, right? Yeah. So, so I'm, so I, admittedly, I'm very sensitive to that, to her coming on and breaking those elements down of the case, and then having somebody then say it was biased the way she presented it to me. It would be biased to me if that's not actually what the expert said, and I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. We're taking her word for yeah. it. So, uh, and I, and I guess I I apologize because maybe bias isn't really what I'm going for. What I, what I mean is the way it was presented was that you bring up this knife pouch, you talk about this knife pouch, you kind of have a, a discussion about this knife pouch, mm-hmm. and then when it gets to the knife. The knife is missing. The pathologist says, yeah, it could have created these wounds, but it, maybe it could have, maybe it couldn't have. And that's the end of discussion. Mm-hmm. There's still, I mean, where is that knife? Right. That's still, that's still in my head. Why is it there? Why is it gone? Where is it? What is, what's happened yeah. to it? And I think that's a question that we still have that's, gonna, that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. Is she can't answer that and we can't answer that. We don't know where the knife is. Okay. And I don't know. And we didn't get an explanation for it. Neither did the jury or the defense. So it, that just kind of, Lays out there. I do think that at the very beginning of, I'm anxious for you to hear next this this week's episode because at the very beginning, I think you're going to be very happy with her response to my very first question. I'll okay. leave it at that. Good. So my next point is the smoke. We talked that she talked about the smoke. She said there was the possibility that Luke's mom lit a fire to burn the clothes, but no one could report that there was smoke. She said there's 37 neighbors. Out of the 37 neighbors, 35 of them said there they did not see any. They could not recall seeing any. Or they just remember smelling something. And then she says, so that means there's only one neighbor that said anything, and that's the direct neighbor. But if they say there's smoke there all the time, how can you concede that that's true? Yeah. And, and again, to me, that's maybe the way she presented it was a way which said they down to 30. I, I thought it was about 35 that said they didn't recall or didn't say there was a fire or smoke. There was two, right, that said they did smell smoke that were both close neighbors. One said it smelled normal. And the other one said it yeah, smelled. But she does off. state that there's, she states in there that all the, that there's these little bonfires all the time. Right. 
I don't believe the clothes were burned. I'll say that right away. I don't believe the clothes were burned. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really starting to lean that I believe Luke is innocent. However, to represent that only one neighbor could positively ID smoke, but that doesn't mean yeah. that other people couldn't. But I, I guess I would say this. How do you, if what she said is accurate, right? That there were 37 witness neighbors interviewed, 35 of them said they couldn't recall any smoke. Two said they smelled smoke. One said it smelled like normal wood. And the other one said that it smelled odd. How should she have presented that if that's the actual facts of the case file? Here's what I'd like to say, if I may. Zach, you are perhaps accustomed to, as many of us are, and Bob said it at the beginning of the episode. And if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Bob, you said, Dr. Lean, let's try to look at today's episode as this was the case presented by the prosecution and just sort of talk about it as from their perspective, what there was. Right. And you have done that on in past seasons with past episodes where it's just you. You're not joined by anybody. And you have written a script and you go through and really try to be as fact-based as you can and really almost try to sell us on the prosecution's case. And so you did say that or some version of that at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this episode. And then I think what Zach heard, instead of it being the sort of standard version we would hear from you, where you really are like, I am going to present this so you have all of the information and I'm not going to, I'm going to reserve judgment on any of these pieces of information because we will get back into those things. And Dr. Lean is asking her to do that, to really present it like she's the prosecution and she's going to walk you through their case without expressing an opinion. I don't think that's fair to her. I don't think it's fair for us to expect her to do that. She has been advocating so hard for this family for so long, and she has felt so alone in that for so long from what I perceive of, you know, things she said and things I've read, that asking her to just state a fact and kind of leave it there I don't know if I could do that if I were her. And so I think it's impossible almost for her not to say, but this, 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 and this. So I guess what I want to say is, is it bias? Yeah, I think it is biased because we have invited someone on who is very sure that this young man is innocent. So we don't have to pretend like she hasn't made up her mind yet. We know she has. And she's Mm -hmm. looking at the facts through that lens because that's what she has made you know, uh, she has purposefully done that to try to undo this, what, you know, this perceived misjustice. So I guess what I'm saying is I feel like you're both right. But I, I understand, Zach, yeah. this, I, the idea, and you tell me if I'm interpreting that right, is that we didn't, we, it's true, we did not get the sort of thing that Bob does where he just lays it all out and it's clean and you walk away and go, okay, that was that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And, and it was tricky too for her because I think, she is the one, the, the holder of the facts. Right. We don't have the transcript. So I'm asking her for the prosecution's case. I mean, you're going to hear next week. Like she was just kind of pointing out the flaws in the prosecution's case, which, as you said, Janet, is, and Zach is kind of where you're is. Normally, I don't do that when I do the prosecution's case. I just say this is how they did it. And then I come back and go. And then this is why that stuff was wrong. The episode on the innocence is a whole different ball of wax. That's a completely different set of circumstances. Because I, to be honest with you, when I was doing the interview, like I was like, but here we are kind of arguing against these things or not really arguing against them, because I, I still maintain that it's not a bias to state the other facts that were in the record to give better 
context of it. Sure. But at the same time, that's saying, well, this is what they did. For example, the, uh, you know, Adrena sighting, right? So they're like, well, one of the main stanchions of their case was this Adrena sighting. Also, what came out in trial is that, you know, this happened, this happened. And then, of course, some of it's my fault because then I'm like, well, how did the time change? And you heard that because I, I think you even you probably caught when I was listening to it. I was like, wait, wait, you mean you mean five to five, right? He's like, no, no. Yeah. Five to six. I'm like, huh? And I remember thinking in that moment, OK, we're supposed to just let that slide, but I can't let that slide. I need to understand how this is. But that can, uh, uh, do you have any more points that you want to cover before we go to the questions? Two quick ones that I won't won't stand super long time. One was when they talk about the jacket. We have no idea about the jacket, whether he had one or did not have one. Right. Um, but there's this notion that she puts forth that says that the police took a jacket from a former classmate in in 2022 to hide it from the defense. No, they found out about it in 2022 is what she said. And again, I don't know if it's true, but that from what she said, okay. to me, that sounds like there was like something in the file that they had taken this other jacket and didn't disclose it to the defense and they discovered that. Okay. So I, I totally misunderstood that, but that sure would be weird if they hit the jacket 19 very, years later. That's why I was super confused. Cause I was like, I don't, what, why are they taking <laughs> what? And then the last thing was the note of the liaison that like was with them all the time. Yeah. And uh, th- again, I, I think that the whole idea that Marilyn Manson or the black doll, I think that is, so far rubbish to this entire case that doesn't matter mm-hmm. but the idea that there's a note made that luke brought that brought up the song but then the liaison officer brought up the song and you can tell by the notes but she wrote it in the note like how do we know any of that yeah i don't know and that's and, and a lot of that comes back to i wish we had the actual case file because that seems confusing because she said in her notes she wrote this but then if you check her notes, she's wrote this and you're like, well, what, what is her, yeah. like, I don't understand that again. It doesn't mean anything. And honestly, I, I feel like I've harped on her. I absolutely love that Dr. Sandrine has been on this podcast. She's a wealth of information that I did not know. I'm super happy that you've got to talk with her. I just think that I was disappointed and Janet hit it on the head that it wasn't presented the way that I was used to having it presented. Yeah. And I think I'm probably not the only listener that felt that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, uh, Jana, did you have anything else to add about the episode before we get into the questions? I just have these five points. No, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> I, I, I loved everything you brought up, Zach, and some of that stuff I had questions about as well. So thank you for, um, for bringing that to all of our attention because that was all really good stuff to talk about. We do have some questions and we also have some questions that are unrelated to this case, but we will save them for the end. So... First of all, people are still thinking about the we called an hour ago comment, and Tracy just wanted to volunteer the idea of, could the we call an hour ago comment to police line up time-wise to the 999 call from someone claiming to be Jody's mom? Could the dispatcher have been mistaken about who made the call? So many J names may be a mistake in the notes or report. I think anything's possible with that. I think as far as it does the timing line up, let me see, that would have been around mid, yeah, it probably would. It would be about right that they called an hour before that. And Brandon, but I don't know that that would happen. Okay, let's move on to Jennifer. Jennifer says, does Scotland and the UK have a law about self-incrimination? It seems like Luke didn't do himself any favors by not shutting the heck up around police. I don't know. I, I mean, I was you heard me learning in real time some of the way this, the Scottish law works. So I don't know the answer to that. But also, I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think that. It sounded like there was really anything that Luke said that was used against him in court. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. From everything I've heard, I don't think there was a lot. Mm. I, I think he was held in question, but I don't think there was anything that, that incriminated himself in it at any point. And, and I, I know I asked Dr. Lean that question. I don't remember. It probably what, must not have been in this episode. It must be in the next one. But I think I'd ask, like, in the six hours that he was interviewed or however long it was, did he say anything that was, used, that was like incriminating that was used against him? And she said, no, nothing. Just to put a fine point on it, still, don't say anything. Ask for an attorney, whether or not you think you're going to incriminate yourself or not. And we never know how the police are interpreting something just because they couldn't put something in front of the jury to say, and look what he himself said, doesn't mean that they weren't all passing judgments and gossiping behind his back about certain things he said or the cadence in which he said it or the tone he was using or the way he was behaving and then he didn't seem upset enough and all of that kind of stuff, whether or not that's used as direct evidence, you could see that influencing the police to look a certain direction and maybe not look a different direction. Does that make sense? Yeah. Jesse says, hopefully this is covered in the case for innocence, but how much of the conduct of the police and trial was just standard for the Scottish justice system? Clearly, the systems are different, so it's difficult to tell which is accepted practice and which isn't. From, the, from my conversations with, with Dr. Lane, a lot of this was out of the norm. I, I can't say that I fully understood exactly what she was explaining as far as the interview. But, but so like one big difference is that they're able to. I don't remember the term she used, but to interview people and they do not have a right to an attorney or a parent. So like we went through this with Jennifer Jeffley's case where we all learned, most of us, shockingly, that the police do not have to have a parent present for a minor to be interviewed, which was shocking and scary. But even with that, what they do have the right to do is to leave or have an attorney present. The fact that they're able to interview people for up to, what does she say, up to seven hours? Something like that, yeah. It's up to seven hours, and they're not entitled to legal representation or a parent being well, present? I think there's something about how they... Luke was obviously considered a suspect, but yeah. if they don't make him a quote-unquote suspect, if he is like a witness, they're allowed to question him. Right. Well, that's, I think that's the some... same in American law. Okay. And I think that's where they got around that whole idea was... They were presenting him as not a suspect. Yeah, that that's the same bullshit that we see here. Like we saw with Jennifer Jeffley, again, to go back to that case was if you're just giving a witness interview, you, you can always walk away. You can always not speak and you can always ask for an attorney and stop any question to have an attorney. You're not required to be informed of those rights in America unless you are a suspect. Then they have to Mirandize you and make sure you are aware of the rights. Like with Jennifer, they're questioning her all this time and they're literally having her sign confessions and still claiming that she's not a suspect because then she doesn't have to have an attorney. And then they're able, of course, because she's a kid, just like Luke was a kid, they're able to, uh, well, you know, you can have an attorney, but you don't want to do that. Right. Oh no, of course I don't. Why would I do that? You're just helping me. Yeah. uh, Abby had a similar question to what you were talking about, Zach, which is again, I kind of group these big picture questions together for those of our listeners who are articulating what I think a lot of us are feeling, which is this curiosity and confusion around the difference in the justice system. So Abby was very curious about how jury deliberations are done in a place like Scotland where juries don't have to be unanimous. I'm sure I'm missing something, she says, but it would seem like they just have to do one vote. Yeah, and I think that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier that, like I said, kind of came to me in the moment here that I think they have to do one vote unless you have undecided people. Uh, That's the only thing that makes sense. Because, again, like otherwise, the minute you walk out and say, well, what do you guys vote? And there's eight yays and seven nays. That's it. It's over. In order for there to be more than just one vote right after they're done, 
there has to be undecided people. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what like the average time is on a deliberation for a trial there because it, you know like here it seems like if there's murder trials there the deliberations can be days yeah but i wonder what it is over there because of this yeah because when you see because initially from an american's perspective when you see it was a 42 day trial and they deliberated for five hours seems shocking yeah that's shocking but yeah when you come to the fact that all you have to do is just get everybody to vote it doesn't like anything then that's the end of it and how do you guys feel about that on a personal level? I mean, we've talked about challenges that we feel that our American jurists face when you can be pressured by a judge, that you have to come to a decision by a certain point or you're not going to get to go home or, you know, that there are can be sort of bully type behavior in, in a jury room where you feel, of, you know, you've spoken to jurors who felt like they had to say guilty because they felt mm-hmm. the pressure was so strong. But how do you feel about this when it's on the other side? Zach, what do you think? If it's a bunch of people and just a little over half think you're guilty and that sends you away, what do you think? That seems crazy to me that, that just a straight majority is enough to convict you. I don't know what it would be. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I feel like unanimous seems the right way, but I, I just don't know. It seems just as just straight minority, like you said, eight to seven that can send you away for the rest of your life seems ridiculous. Seems like they would have like at least a higher majority of some, you know what I mean? Like a 75% majority or something if they're going to do it that way. But to me, honestly, going through this case made me feel a lot better about the American system. That tends to happen, I think, right? Now, now on the the flip side of it and sentencing generally, I like the UK system better than here where people do have a chance to reform and get out it's not you know lock them up and throw away the key like it is here and there are certainly all the issues with our system that like you mentioned janet the pressures they put on the allen charges just generally jurors i think not fully understanding the law and i'm I'm basing that off my own experience on juries and having people like well i don't i just don't think that he should be charged with that i'm like but do you think he did that yes well then he then you vote guilty but the sentence is five years, and I think that's too much. I mean, you don't get to decide, you know, like like there's a there's a lack of understanding. But I will say that I will take our broken unanimous system over that simple majority system. That's nuts to me. Yeah, I w- want to read Susan in the chat just posted. These legal differences reflect different social norms and general understandings of fairness. The influence of social norms and groupthink cannot be overstated. And that's really well said. Yeah. Oh, and Susan would be happy to discuss the research surrounding the influence of these social norms on juror perceptions. I smell an upcoming episode. That may be a good follow-up sometime. Yeah, that would be a really cool conversation. So let's offline about that uh, and come back around to it. Lynn says, I wonder how Dr. Lean came to a realization that there was a grave misjustice when all sources of information at the time seemed to only consider Luke as guilty. She said it fueled her decision to make criminal justice her career. Did she reveal her aha moment when she was convinced police wrongly targeted Luke? I mean, she talked about that last week. And the way I took it was the fact that everybody was saying that this 14 year old boy did this was what got her interested. I think I think so that that's what was concerning to her was and and that was, you know, as she said, like she was not an expert in this. She had no, you know, her degrees were in psychology. So she had some experience in, in things like this, I guess I would say. But it sounded like that was the thing that got her interested was she was just like, wait, what? A 14 year old boy did this? And then because of that, and I may be speaking out of turn here because I, I'm, I'm putting words in her mouth, but kind of based on the, like she said, like Luke's mom put a note under her door and was, you know, just looking for help. It kind of it felt to me like 
everybody was persecuting Luke. The newspapers, the the news, everybody in town already had their mind made up that Luke did it. And then she heard, well, there's this one woman that is like actually, you know, this this educated woman who is saying like, this doesn't make sense to me that it could have been in, in desperation that she's like, well, someone help me. No one is taking our side. Someone help me. And maybe that's how they got connected. But that was my understanding was it, it was simply because based on what she knew about the case from the news and stuff, it just seemed incredibly unlikely to her that a 14 year old boy would be responsible for. It. Got it. Jeannie says. Please ask Dr. Lane if you can play the recording Luke made from jail recently. And Muri also asked about whether Luke could be interviewed now since an interview with him is apparently out there anyway. There's probably some serious hoops to try to jump through for me to interview him now. I don't know if that would be possible. I may try to see if that is. As far as the footage that's out there, um, no. I, I can tell you the answer is no just because, and Janet, you know this just from how production works there is a production company somewhere that owns that footage and they don't just give it away to be played on a podcast somewhere they just that's just not a thing dr lean doesn't own that footage some production company owns it and then muri also says from the documentary it seems luke's mother would benefit from financial support is she doing better and if not is there any way to donate to help so we haven't really talked much about the documentary that's out there i'm not sure how much i think you mentioned in an early episode as you were kind of introducing us to the case that perhaps luke's mom is not in a great position financially because of all of this but is there anything you want to add to that now as far as i know she's still she's still in pretty bad shape as far as financially in her living situation at the end of the second episode i asked and I, I will tell you this that after after listening to dr lean in the episode that's coming next this week in two days and again i'll preface this by saying that this is based on my assumption that the evidence and information that dr lean is sharing is accurate i have no reason to believe it's not i'm fully convinced that luke is in fact innocent Enough so that when, was, that when we were done recording, I asked her, like, is there a way like we can donate to his defense or anything? Is there any way that our listeners can help? And there is, she said that there is law in Scotland that you cannot donate money to someone who is in prison or it sounds like anything surrounding them. She said like there was, there was fundraising that people were doing for her work, like just raising money for Dr. Lean for her work to like write the book and stuff. And she was using some of that money to help fund some of his defense and the fundraiser was removed and she got in trouble for it. I don't know exactly what she got in trouble like there. You can't raise money for it. So she's like, I would love to like give you some way that you can help with Luke or his mom or anything financially, but you just can't. So what I will say is this, and I'll, I'll put it in this episode description too. I put it in last week's episode description, the link to buy Dr. Lean's book on Amazon. If you're interested in the case, and you believe Luke's innocent and you want to help in some way, buying Dr. Lean's book, Innocence, with a T-S at the end, not C-E at the end, Innocence Betrayed on Amazon. And again, there'll be a link in the description. That is a way that you can help. I have so many questions about all of that, and I'm just going to save them, and we're just going to find an expert in the Scottish legal system. I have a lot of thoughts, some of which... I feel like I understand some reasoning behind stuff, but I just have so many questions. So we'll just table that for now. Well, I'll say this because I was feeling the same way when you when as you are when I heard it. And that was and I think I, I vocalized this in one of these episodes when I said that I felt better about the American system. It's because where is the accountability if there is like let's not even talk about this case. If there is a 
crooked prosecutor out there or crooked detectives out there that are that are going after somebody that is in fact innocent and they are breaking the rules and they're lying and they're twisting facts to get their conviction you can't get the transcripts you can't get the police files if you're working for the defense you can have the police files but you're not allowed to share them anywhere the transcripts are so expensive that you can't get them you can't raise any money for somebody to have an attorney to help fight their conviction like there is no accountability at all and i do not like that at all and it's and it's like what can we do from here but i'm just like are something's got to change that's not this is not okay this is not okay that you can lock up a 14 year old kid for the rest of his life and no one's allowed to know how yeah it's chilling Dr. Lean's comments, Kim says, I believe Andrina originally said she went to the supermarket and then drove around to see the house and then made the sighting on her way home. This means whoever she saw, they were at the opposite end of the path to sightings of Luke at that time. So he was alibied. Without her, is there any evidence at all that puts Luke with Jody? With her, there, there's no evidence that puts Luke with Jody. She never said, I saw Luke and Jody. She said, I saw a couple. I didn't see the woman's face. Described her wearing clothing that Jody wasn't wearing and, and described the the male as you know, late teens, early 20s, which, you know, whatever it could 14 that could maybe fall into that category. Let's be, let's be clear. This case is flimsy at best. And I, and I think that we like whether you think he's innocent or guilty, you have to admit this is a flimsy case. Forget the fact that it seems to me, based on what Sandra, Dr. Lean told us, that Andrina absolutely did not see Luke and Jody. I mean, everything she described is not Luke and Jody, but let's just say that, that we just, it, we just, it's just not confirmed. She just saw somebody that like, that's, that's the case. And there's a knife that's missing. Do we don't, do we, like you mentioned the knife is missing, but also the knife is missing. Like you don't have like, here's a knife with the blood and all this on it. We have no forensic evidence of Luke being on the scene. Like, like no one ever puts Luke with Jody that night. no one. Well, and I said it when we first started this, it, when I believed that when I was leaning towards guilt, I wouldn't say I would believe guilt, but when I was leaning towards guilt, I, I even said it then that I was like, even if I do think he did this, this is not a fair trial. This is a horrible trial. There's no way that they should have convicted him based on what was presented. Yeah. And 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 for me, it's more than just a fair trial because, you know, generally I look at and I, I think you have a question about this. So I'll, I'll hold off on it. But uh, for on that, uh, what I was about to say, but generally speaking, I'm not looking at the fairness of a trial. I'm not a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at like practically speaking, is this person factually innocent? Do I do do I think as an investigator that this person is innocent? So for me, just looking at like practically speaking, besides whether the trial was fair or not, it's flimsy. If you take everything at face value that the prosecution put up, it's still flimsy. Agreed. And I think, yeah, Kim's Kim was sort of saying because we keep circling around this idea of what points the state was attacking, you know, what's their what are the little legs of their table that they're setting all of this on and that one of them was that he had no alibi and that he had there were these sightings. And so I think many people are just struck by exactly what you just said, which is, well, it doesn't yeah. sound like those legs existed at all. How could the jury have even considered that? It sure would be nice to know how the jury came to the decision that they did, who voted and what influenced them. Doesn't sound like we have that information either. Here's a here's a Colin Miller analogy for you. It's like the state's case is a granite countertop and it's being held up by three legs and the three legs are paper towel rolls. 
You were so close. I just need you to say, many people remember the 1979 movie, A Granite Countertop, in which Al Pacino played <laughs> played a grouter. That is, I, and, and I'd like to formally right now apologize to Colin Miller for for even suggesting that my silly analogy was anything compared to something that he might put up. But that's how it feels to me. It's like, yeah, the state's case has three legs and they're cardboard paper towel rolls trying to hold up a thousand pound countertop. Absolutely. Well, that is what I have for today for that particular case. We just have a couple of other things to touch briefly on. A very quick question about ObsessFest that I want to get answered for Kelly. Kelly says, you know, we, we did, because it was announced that we would be doing a Friday follow-up at ObsessFest, does that mean that people will not get to hear it? Is it going to be related to this case? And, I, and I'd love for you to just clarify that so no one is worried that they're going to be missing something key if they're not there live. That's a great question. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, kind of what we plan on doing is kind of just putting out kind of an ask me any, anything type of fun follow up. I believe that we'll be able to get that recording and we will. Pu- so whatever said, we will definitely publish it. Definitely assuming that we're able to get the audio recording, which I believe we will be able to. I don't think in that setting that it will be like a hard hitting anything about any particular case. I suspect knowing that group that there will be probably a lot of Adnan questions, I would guess, because that, you know, that, that group is not all, these are true crime obsessed people. Obviously there are definitely a lot of truth and justice people there too. Uh, but everybody in both of those groups is obsessed with the Adnan Syed case. So it, we're just, it'll be whatever comes up, but it's going to be the plan is for it to be kind of a, a fun follow-up and, and we will, as long as we can, we will publish it. Great. Just turning to the Pinion Pines case for a moment, Valeria says, could you explain a bit about the appeal documents that were filed recently for Robert? And uh, Mary Ellen had the same question. Do you have anything you can share with us on that? Not specifically, because uh, as so last week, someone mentioned on here that it was filed. I didn't even know that it was filed yet. I have it. I have not had the time yet to fully read it and break it down. So I can't right now tell you anything specific about it. My intention is so next week will be the last episode about Luke's case. We're going to do the case for innocence. I don't think I was thinking maybe we might do something else after that, but I was thinking of like alternate suspects, but we kind of get into that in next week's episode. So we said it would be probably be a six part series on the case. And that looks like that's what it's going to be is just to kind of give some, uh, some exposure to the case. Then the next episode, what I want to do is actually go through the appeal and break that down. And, and this is, and it's some, there's always the usual suspects that are going around like, oh, look, Bob, they didn't use your arguments in their appeal. Like, I, okay, no shit. I'm not a lawyer. As I just mentioned, you know, I'm looking at the things to trying to investigate the case and figure out what's practical. Also, those are the same people that are like, Bob's in bed with the attorneys and he's biased. Like, clearly not. I'm not. I, I never was working with the attorneys. I sent them the information I had and they did their thing. I suspect just based on the trolling comments that I've got, that I've gotten about it that, and I think somebody even said that they, they didn't put the, uh, like the sector data information into this appeal. And I believe this is the federal appeal also. So I gotta, I gotta go through and, and verify that. Cause again, like I have literally have not opened the file and read it yet. Cause I've been busy doing other stuff, but if that's the case, if it's a federal appeal, then nothing we covered would be in it because the federal appeal would be appealing the previous state appeal ruling that happened before we were covering the case. So they can't argue new stuff. They can only argue that stuff. So I don't know. But anything that's in there is going to be, you know, lawyers have to decide what is going to be uh, a good argument, a winning argument. It's not about proving innocence and actual innocence exoneration without like a clear DNA match is almost impossible in the United States. Like you got to have something very, very strong 
you have to be, literally beat every element of the state's case. So coming at them with, well, we have an expert that says that this sector data actually shows they were in this place, as we talked about on the episode. If you assume that everything I said is 100% right about where they were, it still leaves a window where they could have circled back and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't exonerate them. So I wouldn't expect it to be a part of this, this appeal. Like I would imagine most attorneys wouldn't even go down that road because saying that at 710, they had driven past the road to Becky's house doesn't prove they're innocent. Now for us on a practical level, we can see, well, yeah, but it, the sector data s- seems to show track right with what they said. And it shows they were going back up there, but we still have that, you know, that chunk of time where there could have been a circle back or something like that. So. But anyway, to answer your question, the the plan moving forward is uh, we said we're going to do the six part series on Luke's case. We're about to wrap that up. I'm going to do an episode on the appeal that was filed. So we can kind of break down that as an update on season 12. And then we're going to start moving the Anansi Ed series onto the public feed, as I said. So there'll be if you're a patron, we're going to continue on with where we're going. So we'll be at what episode eight or nine by then. And we'll be continuing on with the series. If you're not a patron. We'll come back. Obviously, you guys have already heard episode one, so it'll be episode two of that. We'll be coming on the feed, and then we'll be releasing them simultaneously as we move forward. And along those lines, just to because there there seems to be a lot of interest where people want to hear that rebuttal of the prosecutor's case. Probably what I'm going to do is create in our distribution platform a season 14 and put them up because because it's going to be big. So like one of their episodes, they did 14 episodes. One of their episodes already took me two episodes to break down, so there'll be at least 15 of mine. And actually this week, as long as things go as planned, there's going to be two for this week also, so there'll be at least 16. So I'll probably will make season 14 is the reply, reply brief series. It won't have any effect on you guys. This will just drop in your feed like normal. But what it'll do is for anybody that wants to come here, they can know they can just go listen to season 14 and listen to it all. So, And I'll warn you guys about this again before it happens, but you'll probably notice like two episodes get popped in at a weird day before the new one comes out. And that'll just be because even though we've already done season one on the main feed, it was way back a month and a half ago on this feed. So I'll put that episode one out again. So it's just clean all in one in one season. You'll have already heard that. It won't be like the Sunday drop. It'll just get like dropped in there. extra. So got it. That is the plan going forward. This week, we are uh, on on the Anand Syed reply brief series on Patreon. They talked about in their part six that we'll be talking about is the uh, Asia McLean alibi letters the autopsy in the crime scene and on our main feed here coming out two days on Sunday, we have another episode with Dr. Lean where she is going to explain the case for innocence for Luke Mitchell and give all the information that we have about any alternate suspects and where the case is now and what's going to be happening next. And I just want to shout out Grayson very briefly, who just uh, informed all of us. This is why we love the live YouTube chat when we do these live streams, that it has now been released that the Maryland Supreme Court will be hearing the uh, plea on Thursday. It will hear appeals from the victim's family, from Hayes' family, as well as Adnan, and it may even be live streaming, but they are going to hear it out. And that is that will have happened by the time this episode drops if you're not here in our live. When is it going to be heard? It's going to happen that fast? This Thursday. Mm-hmm. Great. Also, I did, along those lines, last thing, and we're going to wrap this thing up. When we talked about when Adnan did his press conference, I didn't realize something that was that came out then, and then it, it, I think Adnan said it during the press conference, but then it came out subsequent to that. One of the big kind of bombshells that came out there is, do you remember when Mosby exonerated Adnan, 
one of the reasons was this Brady violation that Yurik had in his notes that somebody had called and said that I don't I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of that they were going to kill Hay. And so some caller called to tell them that this person had said that Yurik then came out later and said they completely misrepresented that. And that that caller was talking about Adnan. And what then came out was that, no, he was not talking about Adnan. According to the defense, the person that made that phone call has come forward and said that was them and has written an affidavit explaining exactly what they said in that call and how they absolutely were talking about someone else and not Adnan. So apparently that is coming out. I don't know when, but in this case, so another hit against Yurik, if that's if that person came out and said is true that they were the ones that made the call and Yurik is once again lying to cover his own track. So we'll be anxious to see how all of that plays out. And with that, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for tuning in. All you patrons, thank you for subscribing and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Bye guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Barney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. <laughs>